0: Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. Steve Jobs was the co-founder and the creative genius behind Apple Computing. Some of you are probably reading your Bible there on an Apple phone. Jobs was an extraordinary man. Sadly passed away quite young. His biographer, Walter Isaacson, points out that Jobs revolutionized not one, not two, but six industries in his life. In 1976, he started Apple computing in his parents' garage. He was 21 years old. Within 35 years, it was the most valuable company in the world. Jobs knew that from an early age, he knew that he had been adopted. His parents were always very open with him about it. They didn't keep it a secret. But there was one occasion when he was made aware of being adopted in a very precious and powerful way. And He described it like this. He had a vivid memory of sitting in the garden at the front of the house, talking to a girl across the street. He was six or seven years old. And he told the girl that he was adopted. And she said, in a childlike way, does that mean your parents didn't want you? And Jobs, these are his own words. He recalled, lightning bolts went off in my head. I remember running into the house, crying. And my parents said, no, you have to understand. They were very serious. They looked me straight in the eye. They said, we specifically picked you out. Both parents said it. They repeated it slowly for me. And they put an emphasis on every word in the sentence. We specifically picked picked you out. He was adopted, loved, and very special. And uh, his biographer concluded that those words became a key part of who he was and how he regarded himself. He he said, knowing that I was adopted may have made me feel more independent, but I've never felt abandoned. They may not have been my biological parents, but they were my parents, 1,000%. A thousand percent. You see, from the moment that Steve Jobs entered the Jobs family, he was chosen and special and adopted, but he did need to be told that. He needed to be reminded of it. It needed to be applied to his heart. He needed to be urged to live in the light of his adoption. Being chosen and loved had to become part of who he was and how he regarded himself. He needed deep assurance for this reason, I think, Because who you are is bound up with whose you are. Who you are is bound up with whose you are. And it's the same for all of us, you know. Today is Father's Day, and you may have already been thinking about your father. And if you'd forgotten it's Father's Day, you've still got time to make a call. But let me say straight straight off the bat that in a broken world, it may not be very reassuring to some of us to think about your father it may not be a very reassuring and encouraging thought because our parents even at their best they're imperfect and those of us who are parents know how imperfect we are don't we being a parent has shown you even more some of us here have had parents of fathers who were completely absent some have had fathers who were completely awful So if our identity and our sense of confidence is tied up in the biological father, then it might give you no confidence at all for life. But the good news is this, according to the Bible, when you become a Christian, you get new birth through faith in Jesus, you are adopted. You're adopted, you get a new father, God the Father, and you get a new family, God's family. Now, just think about this for a moment. It is really a very remarkable and quite extraordinary truth. And I think it goes above and beyond what most people think about Christianity. Most people know that Christianity has a view of sin, falling short of God's standards. And Christians know that they're sinners, but they're forgiven sinners. And I think most people have an idea of God as the Lord or the King. And so we know that we are now subjects of a great king. He's now my Lord. So we know about sinners, and we know about subjects, but do we know about sonship, being a dearly loved and adopted child? Dearly loved and adopted as sons. Here it is in our our text here for today, Romans 8, verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Now, it is of course true that we are sons and daughters. Looking at my daughter as I say this. Sons and daughters of God. And most of our text here today uses gender-neutral language like children. But there is one place there where it says adoption to sonship. And why would they keep that in the Bible? Well, the footnote there in the Church Bible explains that the background in the culture of Rome, to which this was written, is that in, Rome, in, the, in the language and in the culture of the day... A a son could be a full adopted male heir in the Roman culture and therefore have full legal standing. Full legal standing as if he was a natural born son. And so this letter was written to people living in Rome and this was their world. So let me just say that the use of son today and sonship does not imply that women are second class citizens in the kingdom of God or even endorse the culture in this was written. But it does take a concept that was familiar to the people of the time the Romans, the idea of adoption to sonship and being a full adopted heir. And it then applies that to all Christians, male and female. All Christians have the full standing of adoption into God's family. And if that feels like a bit of a stretch to you, let me just remind you that men, we men have to think about ourselves as the bride of Christ. Just think about that for a moment, men. You're the bride of Christ. So we've all got issues. Back to the main point. Christians are dearly loved children. Dearly loved children have adoption, full sonship. Now, why is it important to grasp this? Because who you are is bound up in whose you are. And that being the case, then, the spiritual reality in Jesus Christ is that you now have a new father and a new family. And when we grasp that, it starts to give us a new perspective on reality because it changes our understanding of who we are down deep in the centre of our being. If you're a Christian and you've had new birth through faith in Jesus, that means that everything has actually changed. It might not feel like it, but according to the Bible, the facts are that everything has now changed. And so now we want to live in the light of what we know to be true about ourselves in Jesus and live in the light of being adopted children of God. So, two points today. Uh, Two dynamics that the Holy Spirit brings into our life and our experience. He brings into our consciousness this idea that we're adopted children. And that leads to two powerful dynamics. It leads us from hostility to God to holiness. And it leads us from slavery to sonship. Just two points today. From hostility to holiness and from slavery to sonship. So firstly, from hostility to Holiness. Here we are again. Let's read verse 12 to 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Notice there's a connecting word there between verses 12 and 13 and verse 14. You always got to, when you see the word for in the Bible, it's giving a support or a ground or a basis to what came right before it. So verses 12 to 13 are standing on the ground of verse 14. You will, uh, if you live by the flesh you will die, but if by the Spirit you put to death the the misdeeds and the sins of the body, you will live for if you are led by the Spirit of God. You are the children of God. So the first thing we learn here about the Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit's work in showing us that we're adopted, is that is this. He helps us look like a member of the family. He helps us look like a member of the family. Now, when you see a newborn baby or an infant or a child, do you ever find yourself remarking on some similarity that they have to their parents? I I was saying this to Mike, who was leading the meeting uh, earlier today. I saw his son, Barney, and I said, Oh, it's amazing. He looks like a cross between Mike and Mel. And I was remarking on it as if it was some amazing thing. And then I thought, Why why, why am I doing this? Of course it's obvious. He would look like Mike and Mel. If you belong to the family, you look like the family. You've got your dad's nose. You've got your mother's eyes. You've got your granny's earlobes. You've got your granddad's bottom. I really hope you don't. But, you know, more important than the nose, the eyes, the earlobes, and everything else is the fact that our behavior looks like our family, whether we like it or not. (laughs) We tend to display the behavior patterns and habits of our family environment. And, you know, it can be a shock the older you get to see how much like your parents you really are. Now, according to verse 14, the Holy Spirit's work in the adopted sons and daughters of God is to make them bear the family likeness, to make them look like Jesus. He makes our behavior and our character become more like Jesus Christ. How does he do it? By helping you destroy sin in your life. By helping you to destroy sinful patterns, habits, thoughts, tendencies. Now last week I talked about this a bit and called it annihilation. The Spirit's working in helping us annihilate sin and the flesh. But this week I'm going to use an old fashioned word, mortification. Mortification. If you've been mortified by something, it means you want to die. So mortification is the process of putting our sins to death. The daily, hourly, putting to death of the scheming and the enterprises of the sinful way of life called the flesh by means of the Holy Spirit. And to do that, it says here, you have to be led by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit's work is that he leads us. Again, verse 14, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So what this means is that when you talk about being led by the Holy Spirit, you mean that he's leading you to be more holy. So being led by the Spirit is not primarily about being guided in life decisions or about being sort of moved in some mystical way to do things that you've got no rational basis for. Here, being led by the Spirit is really down to earth. It means the Spirit helps you put sin to death. So what does mortification actually look like? I'm going to give you an embarrassing personal example. (laughs) My wife does appear in it very briefly, but she's not the one that gets embarrassed. I thought, I've got to share something real, because it's, it, it, you have to see how this works. Otherwise, it's just up here at the level of abstraction. Last Sunday night, we had a meeting at our house for leaders of three churches. Thirteen leaders gathered in my home for curry and conversation. And the reason we did it, we're trying to build partnership with these churches, because we have a vision to see Manchester filled with communities of light. And we know we can't do it alone. We know that we can do more together than we can apart. So this was a key meeting to show hospitality to these other leaders, to spread out a big map of Manchester, talk about church planting, talk about we hope to launch a new church with Greg and Christina next year and to pray. And you know what? The meeting was really good, really positive. Everybody was was enjoying it and sharing. And let me just also say that my heart going into the meeting was to serve Jesus Christ, not to build my own kingdom not to build my own reputation. And the meeting went really well, didn't it? And we were really encouraged. But here's a wicked thing that happened. In a day or two after the meeting, Monday, Tuesday, I kept reflecting back on it and feeling a swell of pride that we had hosted it and it made us look good. In fact, there was a distinct heart tendency to think, I'm the man. Because we... Had done something. So you see how a heart that started out wanting to honor God started to drift off base from doing something for Jesus to doing something for Mike, which is a rather less noble ambition. And the internal monologue goes like this I kept reflecting back on things that went well in the meeting and congratulating myself. I could feel the swell of pride. It was, in truth, really absurd and pathetic. But all the while, I could sense, as I was feeling this thing, I could sense this other pressure inside, almost a voice saying, you shouldn't be so proud about this. You're turning a good thing into a sinful thing by your pride. And you know what that presence was, is the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that makes me think like that. He's a gentle spirit. He's easily grieved. You can ignore him. You can hurt him. By your sin he doesn't force his way in but he persuades and he enlightens and if you listen to his voice he will point things out in your character that need changing and he will help you to put them to death and that's what I needed to do with that pride so how did I do it did I get down on my knees and whip my back with a, a, a whip or did I punish my body no I did it by two, two simple things meditation and confession Firstly, meditation, now not Eastern-style meditation where you empty the mind, but Christian meditation, which is reflecting on your sin in the light of Jesus and the cross, and what he says in the Bible. Thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ, just think about what my pride cost him. Just think about his character. Think about, Jesus, you know, who's known as being meek and lowly, lowly of spirit, a humble, the king of kings was humbled for us. He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Who am I to think much of myself? So That was meditation. And then confession. Something we Protestants don't talk about much. We don't emphasize it. And, but there is such a thing as biblical confession. You don't have to go to a church building. You don't have to get into a box with a priest. There's only one priest. His name is Jesus. But there is a Christian community. And that's where you take your sins and confess. So I took my sins and I went to a trusted, godly friend who I'm also married to. And I confessed them to her. I said, you know what, it's so silly. I've been feeling really proud about that meeting on Sunday night. And she kind of looked at me and thought, hmm, you are pretty silly, aren't you? (laughs) And then she prayed for me. And you know what then? The sin was killed. Dead. Another example. In our marriage a number of years ago, I'm being really real with you here, and some people find this uncomfortable when we say it, but I'm going to say it to you now. We instituted a policy that if ever we, one of us found a member of the opposite sex particularly attractive, particularly attractive, and we found we were being, our heart was being drawn to that other person, we would tell each other. Not easy to do, but let me tell you, once it's, been, once it's out in the open, it's dead. You killed it. Mortifying Sin. So you see how it works? This is not rocket science. To move from hostility to God to being a holy, radically holy person doesn't require a kind of spiritual gymnasium of techniques, but it requires a willingness to be led by the Spirit, to listen to His voice, to apply the good news of Jesus to our hearts and to live in genuine Christian community where we're really open and we're really accountable to each other. From hostility to holiness. Now, the second thing that the Holy Spirit does, the second dynamic, is to move us from slavery to sonship, to sonship, to an awareness of our adoption. Let's read back with our scripture reading here, verse 15. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba. Father, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now we know from our readings in Romans so far that by nature, every one of us is a natural born enemy of God. We're hostile to God. We either work it out in a very, very religious way by proving to God that we don't need him because we're so righteous on our own or we do it in a very irreligious way by ignoring God, pretending he doesn't exist and living like hell. But one way or the other, we're all naturally enemies of God. And, but this creates an uneasy conscience in us. We know that God's there. We know there's a standard and we know we're not living up to it. We know we sin against God and we don't reach the mark. And we know that we wrong other people in countless ways. By our words, deeds, even our thoughts. And so we're inclined to fear that God is angry with us and he will reject us. And the biggest lie which starts right at the beginning of the Bible and runs all the way through to near the end, is this, God doesn't really love you. God doesn't really love you. So we live in fear. But in light of that, what does the Holy Spirit do here? What is his work? He doesn't make you slaves to fear, it says, so that you're ruled by your fear of God. Rather, he brings about your adoption. So that you're a fully accepted heir and a, a son of, or daughter of God, and he makes you aware of him. F.F. Bruce was a great biblical scholar, professor, and Donald actually you know, is a personal friend of his, I think we could say. Professor Bruce who was a scholar at the University of Manchester, a biblical scholar, and he put it like this. Um, the term adoption may have a somewhat artificial sound in our ears, but in the Roman world of the first century, An adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by the adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. He was not in the smallest degree inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature, and he might well enjoy the father's affection more fully and reproduce the father's character more worthily. Full adoption, full welcome, into the family of God. So now with the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we don't live by fear. We're not ruled by it. You can do nothing to lose God's love. You can do nothing to lose God's favor. You've been adopted. It's a permanent arrangement. Jesus Christ has signed the adoption papers with his own blood. So life is no longer a matter of jumping through hoops, trying to earn favor, or in self-justification. You're set free to live life for God as a fully adopted son or daughter. We've moved from being slaves to sin, slaves to ourselves and the things of this world and given a new status in Christ. So, adopted Christian friends here, how are you going to uh, embrace this and bring it in to your existence, to your life and, and make, make this real in, it's Monday to Friday this week? Notice in our text again that Jesus, that it says here, we cry by the Spirit, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Now this is really interesting because there's two languages here. Abba is Aramaic. It's the heart language of Jesus and his disciples. And Father there is in the Greek language. Two languages put together. Two ways of saying Dad in an intimate way. Why does he say Abba, Father? It's because on one notable occasion, Jesus was praying. And on that occasion, at that time, and he was at his most vulnerable and most intimate. And he was most depending on God the Father. And these are the words that he cried out. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane as he thought about the cross that was coming. And as he pleaded with God for support and help. And even asked, Lord, if it's your will, let this cup pass from me. Jesus used this phrase, Abba, Father. And this is now the high privilege of Christian believers. That if you're trusting in Jesus if you're following him, if you've been given new birth, if you're resting the weight of your life on him, then you can take Jesus' words and use them to God. You can approach God the Father on the same basis that Jesus did. You can claim the same intimacy, the same closeness as Jesus Christ did with his Father. You too can cry out, Abba, Father, like a crying newborn baby and the Father will hear your cry above all the noises in the universe. Now how can this be? How did this great adoption happen? It came about because there was one time, and only one, when Jesus did not call God Father. It was one time when Jesus cried out to God, and he said, "My God," instead." It was on the cross. Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? At that moment, he did not experience God as Father. And why was that? It was because at that moment, God the Father was pouring out his wrath and righteous anger on God the Son. God himself was torn apart. Persons of the Godhead united in an intimate and loving communion for all eternity, were torn apart because Jesus took on himself all the sins of his people and he became sin there on the cross. And there he bore the brunt, the full force, of God's just anger against sin. Jesus Christ bore condemnation so that now there could be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ lost his father so that you could gain him. He lost his father so that you could gain him. So let me just say, in closing, Christian friend, live in the light of this. I am adopted. Ask the Holy Spirit to light up your heart, to illuminate your consciousness with this reality. I am adopted. Ask him to show you those areas in your character in your life that are still in the grip of sin and put it to death. And start each day by remembering your status. I'm accepted by God. I'm free. I'm not alone. And I am adopted. And may God bless you as you walk with Jesus in newness of life. Let's pray. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Heavenly Father, we come before you today on Father's Day. And we thank you that you have shown us what a good father looks like. And we thank you that um, although we've been far from you in our lives and although we've turned against you many times and although even now we're, we're aware more and more of our sin and our, the darkness that's often in the roots of our being, you love us. And you loved us so much that you sent your son, the Lord Jesus, to live the life that we should have lived and die the death that we should have died. And he rose again for our justification. So, Lord, please send your Holy Spirit to us afresh. Fill us. Lead us. Help us to walk in step with him. Help us to put to death those sins and residual things that displease you. Help us, we pray, to be more like Jesus. And would you, Lord, Even today, bring one person in this room to a saving faith in you. We ask for your glory and for their good and for our good. Amen. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net.